Well, good morning to each of you. Greetings in Jesus' name. It's a privilege for Sal and I to be here and worship with you. I would guess that the majority of the people in the world today wish they could sit where you are. I would guess that probably more than more than can, there's probably more people that cannot meet today in the way that we're meeting here in freedom. So we're a blessed people this morning to be able to worship the Lord together. And I, let's don't take that privilege for granted. In Matthew 24, Jesus spoke about the conditions that would prevail during the last days just prior to his coming again. In verse 12, Jesus said, And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. I'd like to ask you, do you think that is being fulfilled today? I'd like to share three examples of, of that being fulfilled. It was probably 30 years ago or more, there was a couple that moved into this area from another state. They were an exemplary couple. They were a dedicated couple. They were a devoted couple. And as I looked at that young man uh, and saw his love, his devotion to the Lord, I was somewhat jealous, I'll be honest. But later, the couple moved away, and he began to teach that women's head coverings were no longer necessary, and they assimilated back into the world. And I'd like to ask you why, or how did that happen? The second one, in 19, let's see, in 2004, Colleen and I um, were working out in California, helping where the fires went through in a CAM project. And one of the crew members there, one of the leaders, was from a conservative Mennonite church, and he fell into sin with a woman from town. How did that happen? Why did that happen? Uh, he brought a lot of reproach on the name of Jesus Christ, a lot of reproach on the church, and I'd like to ask how or why did that happen? Third example, there was a Christian young man who confessed that he really didn't like reading the Bible that much because when he did, he felt guilty for the way he was living. Why? Just because Jesus said that the love of many shall wax cold, does that mean that there's little hope for you and me in 2021? Does that mean that we have little hope against being swept into the river of apostasy that's overflowing Christendom today? Well, along with what Jesus said about the condition of the last days, he did give hope. The next verse, Matthew 24, verse 13, Jesus said, but he that shall endure until the end, the same shall be saved. But I ask you, what can we do and where can we go to protect ourselves against the corrupting influence that is evident in our world today? My dear people, I know where we can go. Right here, I commend you to God and His Word, and that's where we're going this morning. There is hope. I guess I didn't quite realize how closely the sermon and the Sunday school mesh together, but I'm blessed this morning because I believe they do. The title of the message this morning is Maintaining a Healthy Reverence and Fear for God. The text would be Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 and 29. If you turn there, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 and 29. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, 
Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. I think Mark, you asked in Sunday school, kind of alluded to the question, how is it that Paul started out right and where did, where did his path and God's path, where did they veer apart and how did it happen? It seems to me that Paul must have lost his reverence for God and his word somewhere along the line. Saul, yes. Thank you. Okay, I'd just like to say that it seems like the foundations of many organizations are being threatened today. But praise God, there's a foundation, there's an organization that's not, and that's God's kingdom, and we do not have to fear. Uh, God's kingdom is unshakable, it's immovable, and let you and I, let's have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. I found this somewhere, a definition for reverence that reads this way. A feeling of profound awe and respect because of his majesty and holiness, God arouses a feeling of reverence in those who worship and serve him. And I sincerely believe one of the greatest antidotes that we have today against the apostasy that we see is maintaining a healthy reverence and a respect for God. There's so many people today that seem they, they, are not, they don't have that love, that reverence for God. And they lose that out. And then they're, you know, as you view their life, you can see that it seems they have little reverence and fear for God. And their lives will tell you that. First point of the message is the attack against absolute truth. Genesis chapter 2, 15 and 17. Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but... Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. You know, God had taken Adam and Eve and put them in a perfect place, in a perfect environment there in the garden. God had made abundant provision. He said, you can eat of all the trees, but there was one prohibition. And that was that they were not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, yes. And even it seemed like God, it didn't seem like, God had a beautiful communion with Adam and Eve. He came to them in the cool of the day and he communed with Adam and Eve. And that was a beautiful communion that they had there. But how is it that Adam and Eve lost their healthy reverence and fear of their creator? The Bible says in the and because iniquity shall abound. Well, what is iniquity? Iniquity is sin or anything that's in opposition to God's word. What is the source of iniquity? This is rhetorical. You know the question. You know the answer to that question. The source of iniquity and sin obviously is Satan. But in the garden, Satan introduced partial truth to dilute and the, the uh, absolute truth. 
Satan introduced partial truth that perverted and corrupted absolute truth. He said, Yea, hath God said. And for every absolute that God gives in His Word, Satan always offers a counterfeit. So I don't care what you're, whether you're talking about divorce, remarriage, you're talking about nonconformity, whatever, Satan always offers a counterfeit. Yea, did God really say, does He really mean that? Absolutely. He means what He says. And I'm convinced that when we begin to entertain thoughts beyond God's word, we get into trouble. When we begin to entertain thoughts beyond God's word, our relationship with him suffers and we begin to compromise our faith in him. And our life and our actions are a true indicator of the level of our reverence for God. Second point of the message, God expects a healthy reverence and fear. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19, verses 10 to 12. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes, and be ready against the third day. For the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai, and thou shalt set bounds or boundaries unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves that ye go not up into the mount or touch the border of it. Whosoever touches the mount shall surely be put to death. God expects a healthy reverence and fear. And just after this, uh, when God appeared there on the mountain, right after that, he gave them the, t the Ten Commandments. And I'd like to ask you, what was the purpose of a healthy reverence and fear for God Almighty? You don't have to answer verbally, but what do you think was the purpose of a reverence and fear for Almighty God when he told him, you know, sanctify yourselves and he had them to prepare uh, for him coming down and give them the word? And I think we have an answer in chapter 12, uh, Exodus 20, verses 18 to 20. Exodus chapter 20, this is right after the giving of the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20, 18 to 20, And all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. And they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, for God is come to prove you and so what is the purpose of a reverential fear before God following? And that his fear may be before your faces that ye sin not. A reverential fear is to keep us from sinning against God. That was the same for Israel and it's the same for us today. Thinking about God expecting a healthy reverence and a fear. You know, Israel grumbled against God in Numbers chapter 21. Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 to 6. And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass or to go around the land of Eden, Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses, Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, 
and our soul loatheth, or we hate this light bread. And what happened? Verse 6, And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died because they did not have a healthy reverence and a fear for Almighty God. God had provided. It's interesting to think. God's, God's presence was with Israel pretty near continually. In the daytime, isn't it that he led them by a cloud a cloud in the day and a pillar of fire by night? God was with them. He provided for them. He provided water in the midst of the, the desert and, and he provided food for them. And then they say about this manna, this, this miracle food that God had provided, we hate that bread. That's serious. God had made provision and Israel hated uh, God's provision and God did not look kindly on that kind of a rebellious attitude. But I would tell you, thinking about difficult experiences, I think they have a tendency to erode our reverence and fear for God. Sometimes maybe you have gone through a difficult experience and you wonder, why is God letting this happen to me? Maybe we shouldn't be asking why, but we should ask what. What would you have me to learn through this difficult experience? I'm blessed to think that everything comes my way has been across God's desk. God understands and he is, it's like the things that come our way has been through his civil approval. And if he lets it come our way, it's not to destroy us, it's for our good, to make you a better person, to make you a stronger person. And so don't despair when you go through difficult experiences. God is preparing, God is strengthening you for, to make you stronger in the future. It's not to bring you down. I'd like to consider also thinking about David bringing, bringing the ark back to Jerusalem. Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 6, 6 to 8a, and you know this story well. And when they came to Nacon, threshing for Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it because they stumbled. And the angel of the Lord was kind I'm sorry, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error. There he died by the ark of the Lord. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah, and he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah, Perez Uzzah to this day. I'd like to ask you why. Did Uzzah respond like he did? Do you think Uzzah didn't love God? I believe Uzzah loved God and he was concerned for the ark and he put out his hand. But why did God strike him down? Wasn't he showing reverence and concern for the ark of God? I'd like to read an answer from Exodus chapter 25. I'm going to read this from the NIV. Exodus chapter 25, verses 12 to 16. Cast four gold rings for it, for the ark, and fasten them to its four feet, with two rings on one side and two rings on the other. Then make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Insert the poles 
into the rings of the sides of the chest or the ark to carry it. The poles are to remain in the rings of this ark. They are not to be removed. Then put in the ark of the testimony, which I will give you. So why did God strike down Uzzah? Because he was disobedient. And I, who's most responsible? And I'm not here to say, was Uzzah most responsible? What about David? Did David... Did he not know what God had written in Exodus? Who is most responsible? But brothers and sisters, I'm saying we need to reverence God's word because if we don't, God will bring judgment. Is that clear enough? What about an improper response to a holy God? I'd like to share uh, an instant from the New Testament, very briefly from Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 22. You know these verses well. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in righteousness or those people who suppress the truth because that which may be known of God is manifested in them for God has showed it unto them for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understand by the things that are, un, are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Verse 18, where it talks about holding the truth, that is suppressing the truth. It reminds me of a man that I can think of. Uh, his parents used to go to our congregation uh, he didn't, but anyway, he, he was older and he was considering um, divorcing his wife and getting remarried. And his parents told him, you should not do this. God's word, it's, it's not, um, you know, it's against what God's word for divorce and remarriage. And he went up into the mountain and he prayed and he said that God revealed to him by the spirit that it's okay for him to get divorced and remarriage. Divorced and remarried. How did he come to that conclusion? Is it not by suppressing the truth? Verse 28, Romans 1, 28, but even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them, gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. It's interesting in my Bible in the margin thinking about those people that have a reprobate mind, it says a mind void of judgment. A mind void of judgment or proper judgment. Okay, third point of the message, I'd like to identify some hindrances that keep us from a healthy reverence for God. Number one is false worship and idolatry. I'd like to turn to Deuteronomy eleven sixteen. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 16. Take heed to yourselves that your heart be not deceived, and ye turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. I don't have this in my notes, but if I remember right in, what is it, Matthew 24, when the disciples came to Jesus and they said, what is the sign of the end times? And what did he say? Anybody know? What's the first thing Jesus said? 
Take heed that you be not deceived. God was concerned about it in the Old Testament. God was concerned about it at the beginning of the church, and God's concerned about it now. Be not deceived. And brothers and sisters, there's lots of things that we could say. We are being inundated with information and a lot of deception in our world today. Um, I need to move on. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, 29. I'm sorry, 1 Chronicles. 1 Chronicles 16, 29. This is the good side. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. That's what we're called to. Let's beware of the false idolatry that is prevalent in our world today. So many people uh, that are worshiping other gods. Secondly, a busy lifestyle. Are you busy people? I don't need an audible answer. I'm sure you are. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. In the the midst of all your busyness, Matthew 6, verse 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Is that what you do? Do you seek God first? What about, how about your personal devotions? How are you getting along? Is that something that is a priority in your life, in my life? Is that something, well, I've got this to do. I've got, uh, I've got to order feed and we need this or that and we need to go, uh, we have to sew a dress for the children that I guess there's a, maybe there's a wedding coming up or you, can, you fill in the blank. You're busy people. Do you, is your devotional something that you think, well, yeah, I have it in mind, Lord, I, I'm going to get to it as soon as I can. And it goes through the day and, it, and you get to tonight and you're tired, you're wore out. Well, there's another day. I'll purpose to do it tomorrow. How is it with your devotional life? I don't think there's hardly anything that's more important than our personal devotion, devotional life. Isn't it? Isn't it everything that proceeds out of our life and out of our heart directly tied in to our relationship with Jesus Christ, His Word, and prayer. Is that saying too much? Okay, maybe we can make a little uh, analogy as we think about our personal devotional life. I'd like to say, I'm going to use Wesley this morning. I know him pretty good. He came from the peak. I can pick on him. But hopefully I'll pick on him in a good way. Let's say that in January the 1st, 2021, Wesley and I both decided that we were going to go to our banks and we were going to make an investment and, and we then at the end of the year, at December 31st, 2021, then we was going to go to the bank and we was going to receive our, our interest. Would you come up, Wesley? Wesley received a check. It's not a real check, but Wesley received a check for $500 for his investment. You can sit down. On December 31st, I went to my bank to get my interest money, and I got a nickel. 
Wesley got $500 and I got a nickel. I'd like you all to tell me what's the difference. Why did they treat him with such glowing terms and I only got a nickel? Why? I'll ask Kathy. <laughs> she works in finances. Kathy, would you have an answer? I don't mean to pick on you. Why is such a difference between what I received at the end of the year and what Wesley received? Thank you. I'd like us to think about that. The cumulative, the cumulative effect of our personal devotional life with Jesus Christ through the year. Do you think at the end of the year it's going to make a difference? Well, let's say that Wesley say, oh, I'm newly ordained and I feel so much like a fish out of the water. I feel, I feel so inadequate and I want to learn from God. And he reads and he spends time in prayer. And you all can see that because the comments and the things that he makes at church, they really make sense and they parallel God's word and you appreciate it. Maybe I would say, okay, I've been ordained a long time and I've got things to do on the, the books for the secretary of conference. I got this to do, I got that to do. I'll just pull a little something out of my head and I hope that I can feed the people on Sunday morning. If I invest, if I make a dollar investment I probably am not going to have much to share with you all. I think there's a connection. Are y'all understanding the connection? Maybe I spent playing along on that one. Identifying hindrances to a healthy reverence for God. The third one is desiring earthly riches. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. That is the negative side of it. But where can we go? What can we do? There's many people that are seeking money and possessions, but what are we called to? Let's look at verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. What about verses 11 and 12? But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. I thought of an illustration that was somewhat humorous as I think about earthly riches. Some time ago in the evening, Sally and I was invited to a picnic where there was a huge bonfire. And at this bonfire that we were gonna do some hot dogs and whatever, whatever. And anyway, there was a little girl there that her daddy talked to her and he leaned down to her and he, he said her name and he said, what did you do with daddy's money? She had picked up some money. I don't know how old she was. Three. And she got some of this money and daddy said, what did you do with it? She said, I swallowed it. 
And I don't, I've never seen one of these before, but somehow he had a handheld metal detector and he started running it down on her, beep, 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 It was obvious that she was telling the truth. There was a truth detector, this metal detector, that went down her body. It was obvious that that money was still down in her, in her belly. It was pretty humorous. But you know what? We have a truth detector that can detect where your treasure is and whether you have any treasure within you. Uh, what is God's word detecting about your life? Where is your treasure? Do you have treasure within? Okay, fourth. Desiring a position of status in a church. Third John, John verses 9 and 10. 3 John, verses 9 and 10. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, that we receive a, a good reward. Whosoever transgresses, I'm sorry, I am not in 3 John, I'm in 2 John, I'm sorry. Wherefore, therefore, ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth, I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Here was a man, evidently, that was seeking position in the life of the church. And if you want a recipe for disaster in the life of the church, it's a ministerial team that don't get along. Is that fair? Wesley? To Wesley, to Claire, to Philip whoever's serving on the ministerial team. God has given you each gifts to complement one another. And as you use those mesh, they can bring the church together. But one of the greatest difficulties is when, when I began to look at another brother and wish or I'm upset that he's getting along well and he's, he's being appreciated by the people and, and he has something different than me. Those gifts are to complement the church, not to be in competition in the church. And so I just like to say, beware, be careful. Uh, I don't believe that you all are men that are seeking position in the church and having trouble with one another and wanting to be higher and uh, on a different pedestal than your brother. But I say beware. Seeking the praise of men is another hindrance that can compromise our healthy reverence for God. I'm not going to turn to this, but you know the passage there in Matthew chapter 6 where it talks about there's three things that are mentioned there. Number one is the giving of alms. Number two is prayer. Number three is fasting. And there's many people in our world today that they want to do these things. Why? Somebody tell me. Why do they want to do it? Correct. They want to be seen of men. But what does the Bible say? The Bible says, do these things. What? Right. Correct. We are to do the things. Yes, we are to fast. We are to pray. We are to give alms. But we are to do it in secret. And if we do it in secret, then what? What's the Bible say? God will reward you openly. 
there's ways to do things. God has spoken. Are we following what we know to do? Matthew chapter 24, verse 4. We mentioned this already, and I need to hurry on. Matthew 24, this is beware of deception. Matthew 24, verse 4. When the disciples came and said, what's going to be the condition of the end times? And verse 4, and Jesus said unto them, take heed that no man deceive you. And brothers and sisters, I don't need to warn you or tell you so much, you know this, that you and I are being inundated with the things that the world has to offer. Whether you're tech devices, whether you go to Google, whether you in social media, whatever, we are being inundated by information and how much is it true. We know that 100% of this is true, but other things that you have access to, how true is it? Um, I'll just say, be careful. Beware the deception is out there. Number seven is insubordination to authority, something that identifying a hindrance uh, to a healthy reverence for God. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 to 4. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that are ordained are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resistant the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive <coughs> shall receive to themselves damnation. I could read further, but I'll stop there. There are many people that are insubordinate to authority. God's word says we are to be obedient to those that are over us. That's what God's word says. And if we decide that we're going to veer, veer off or situational ethics uh, when we're fishing, if we're only supposed to catch six, well, is it okay if we catch eight? Um, if we are driving on the interstate and we're behind because of some reason, can we, can we run a little bit higher? Should we? Uh, there's lots of areas where we need to consider, are we, are we being subordinate? Are we doing what God asks or are we thinking, letting man's idea decide, well, we can compromise this truth a little bit or that truth the Bible says that if we're going to be faithful in a lot, we have to be faithful in what? Yeah. If we're faithful in a little, then we can be faithful in much. But the opposite, you know, if we're not going to be faithful in little, neither will we be faithful in much. So let's be careful. Last point of the message is a proper response to a holy God. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 6. You know this account well, I'm sure you do. But it's very interesting. We were thinking this morning of Saul. And here's another king that somewhere along the line must have compromised his reverence for God. If I understand right, King Uzziah, we're looking here in verse 1. King Uzziah in 740 B.C., he began, uh, that's when he died of leprosy. But he began his reign at at 16 years old, and I think it was maybe 52 years. I don't have it exactly in mind, but he had a long reign. But somewhere along the line, he compromised uh, what God had asked him. And let's see what he did. Let's look at Second Chronicles chapter 26. What did he do? What did King Uzziah do? Second Chronicles chapter 6. I'm sorry, Second Chronicles chapter 26. Verse 
But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord his God. And he went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. And Azariah the priest went in after him, and with him fourscore or eighty priests of the Lord that were valiant men. And they withstood Uzziah the king and said unto him, It appertaineth not unto thee, Uzziah, to burn incense unto the Lord, but to the priests, the sons of Aaron, that are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for thou hast trespassed, neither shall it be for thine honor from the Lord God. Then Uzziah was wroth, and he had a censer in his hand to burn incense, and while he was wroth with the priests, the assemblies, a cloud and smoke by day, and the shining of a flaming night by... I'm sorry. I'm sorry, let me do verse 19 again. Then Uzziah was wroth and had a censer in his hand to burn incense, and while he was wroth with the priests, the leprosy even rose up in his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord from beside the incense altar. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked upon him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead, and they thrust him out from thence, yea, himself hasted also to go out because the Lord had smitten him. Why is it that Uzziah was cast out? He had a good beginning like Saul did. Somewhere along the way, Uzziah lost his reverence for God and for his word. He became proud and God judged him for his pride. And uh, that is the setting of Isaiah chapter 6 that we go to now. Isaiah chapter 6 verses 1 to 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I, also, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a tree high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. With twain he covered his feet. And with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs from off the altar, and he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. We have quite a contrast here of Uzziah, one that lost his reverence for God, and you have now the picture of Isaiah, and God, and he's seen the vision of God, and what did it happen? What happened to him? I'd like to suggest that there's at least four things that happened to Uzziah as he saw God. As he saw this vision, he had a reverence before God. In verse 5, I'd like to suggest that he had undoneness. He recognized his undoneness. Verse 5, Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone. As you and I get a vision of Almighty God, and we see His holiness, His sovereignty, and all there is, isn't appropriate for us, we really recognize our undoneness. 
we should. Secondly, notice repentance and confession. Verse 5, because I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. There was repentance and confession in verse 5 and notice in verse 7, notice there's forgiveness. We're looking at undoneness first and then there's repentance and confession and thirdly, verse 7, notice there's, there's forgiveness. And he laid it upon my mouth this coal and said lo this has touched thy lips and thine iniquity is taken away and thy sin purged there was forgiveness and what happens after forgiveness is that all there is to it verse 8 there is a commissioning and i heard the voice of the lord saying whom shall i send and who will go for for us then said i here am i send me Isaiah was not prepared to go and serve God in whatever capacity God called him to until he let, went through the first steps. And you and I aren't either. We must recognize our undoneness. We must recognize that. And then we must repent and we must confess the, the undoneness in our own heart. And then we can receive forgiveness. And then God can commission you and I for a work. You do not have to stand up here. You don't have to preach behind this pulpit to be effective in your community. Sometimes I wonder if the lay person doesn't have uh, ability and ways to reach out to people that some of us don't. And I commend you and say, reach out to the people that you have, that you can. I believe God has commissioned you for work. God has given each person gifts and abilities for his kingdom. I just like to say that I believe you have a privilege here on Sunday morning, Wednesday evening, Sunday night to be exposed to God and to his word through the preaching of the word, through Sunday school hour, through the many programs of the life of the church. You have the ability and you have that privilege of being exposed to God's word. Do you have a proper reverence and fear for Almighty God? When you have, when you have the ability or when you have the privilege of being exposed to God word, God's word, what is it? You have a, a choice to make. Now, we have the privilege of having Brother Delmar Troyer come November 1st through the 7th. He's from Michigan for coming for revivals. And we have that privilege that week. But we have a choice to make. Do we give it little thought or do we think, well, you know, that's kind of an inconvenience. I kind of can't hardly wait till we get through this week and we can continue. Life is the same. God forbid. Is it possible that God has in his date book that he wants to meet with the congregation at the peak and he wants to bring inspiration. What is our view? Where's our reverence of God? Do we have a reverence for him and for his word or is it kind of an inconvenience or do we think, well, hunting season's coming up. I do hunt. I do know when hunting season is. But what is most important? 
Do we give it serious consideration? I'd like to ask you, how's your standing before Almighty God? Will we respond like Isaiah did? Do we realize that we have undone us? We have needs within our own heart. Are we willing to repent and confess of the needs that we have? Then we can receive forgiveness. And then we can be commissioned for the work that God has called, to, called us to. In conclusion, brothers and sisters, I believe with all my heart that having a proper reverence and fear for Almighty God will affect every aspect of your life. It will affect your devotional life. It will affect your worship. It will affect your submission. It will affect your speech. It will affect your appearance on Sunday morning and through the week. It will affect your goals. It will affect your motives and even your spare time. May God help us to daily cultivate a healthy reverence and fear for Almighty God. May God bless you to that end.